Good afternoon. Hello, welcome to my talk on maps in the archives. Um, and here at the National Archives, we've got one of the largest and most varied and richest map holdings in the world. Maybe six million, maybe seven million, maybe eight million. Perhaps you'd like to count them. <laughs> We're not quite sure, but what it means is that there's something of interest um, to interest and inspire everybody here. So they range from a 14th century sea chart up to modern military maps, um, places from here in Kew to Timbuktu, or from um, somewhere beginning with A, where can we think of um, Addis Ababa to Zanzibar? But they're, I think they're a bit too close together geographically, but whichever way you want to look at it, we've got maps of an awful lot of places, including some which don't exist. I'll show you those later. So there are maps which made history or witnessed history, very important maps, and others simply show where people lived or some specific point, so where something was going to be built. What they have in common with all the other records we're looking at today is that they were made or used for central government business. Um, but the format is usually quite different from the other records that, um, that we're looking at here. So first of all, we're going to look at the question, what is actually a map? Well, um, there are maps as we know them, um, by which we mean a sort of representation of quite a wide area. So you might have a map of England. Um, it's an area larger than the map maker would actually know. And then plans would be more like town plans, that the, the map maker would probably be able to know that area themselves. Charts obviously showing the sea or other water, so they could be of large rivers, perhaps, or lakes, um, usually made to help sailors find their way round, um, or recording information useful at sea, such as where the rocks are, so you don't go down. And they also show um, things like lighthouses, which you can see from the ship, so you might get the coast as seen from the sea. So different perspectives and ways of looking at things. And then architectural drawings come down right down to that very large scale of um, plans and sections cutting through and elevations, you know, what you see standing in front of you um, of particular buildings here. So now we'll look at some examples of some of these types. Um, if you want to know more, we do have a map, um, map web pages. So if you go to the home page, our home page, and put in maps in a little box at the top, you'll get taken to pages with a lot more examples of specific types of maps. So a lot of them are actually in with other records. There are also some separate map, map series. And also um, there's a huge variety from hand-drawn little sketch maps up to very official published maps um, and worldwide coverage and uh, huge date range. So this is the earliest one. It's a 14th century chart called the Portland chart of the Mediterranean. So this was made by somebody probably in Venice in sometime in the 14th century. So basically it's to show the Mediterranean and how you, how you sail about it. And it's crossed by all these lines, which the sailors would use. They put their compass on it and sail down the line. 
So there's a huge meaning to these. It was actually a practical tool, which we've got here because it was used to bind a later document because it was made of parchment. You can see it's got holes in it. Um, but because it's so old, obviously it's been damaged a bit. But it was used to be the binding, the cover, on another document later. Because, in a way, it was something which was superseded. Once you got printed charts, or once you got better charts that told you more, it was the information that counted. We might be looking at now thinking that's a very interesting way of looking at the world. But once you've got a better chart, if you're a seaman, you use that. You don't use the old one, which might not have something important on it, but then it got reused, which means it's come down to history for us. Now, this is one of the latest examples. Um, well, it's 1950s. So this is actually showing Antarctica. Um, so again, it's a sea area, but this shows the kind of up-to-date mapping. It tells you exactly what the technical specification is for making this. This was when Antarctica was being um, discussed. They were discussing the division amongst various international parties about it. So a different way of presenting things across time, in a way that kind of shows us different ways of viewing things. Um, now, early maps in particular often present the world as the map maker at the time, one individual person saw, usually saw their own landscape. So is this a child's painting? No, it's actually uh, Pateley Bridge in Yorkshire. So we think it was drawn sometime in the early 16th century. And these are um, streams. Uh, so these white things here with black centres, they're pools, and it's as though they tip them up to get the stream with the water coming out. So it shows a really interesting way of depicting the world it, by somebody who probably maybe hadn't ever seen a map. So you've got very much their inspiration about how they were trying to capture their world. So these are actually hills with some streams in them. But, you know, they could be um, cauliflowers or blancmange or something like, like that. So these are very... Um, this is one extreme of the kind of thing. And then you can go right up to accurately drawn affairs by professionals. But they were all made in government business. You'll get quite a lot of early, 60, early maps because that's what I like um, but they do show you a that view of the world but also how much change has gone on this is Rye this is the town here um, so you've got the gun garden here which is still there with the uh, cannons and etc but this is the sea out where the ships are and now the sea has gone further and further miles miles out there so you can see how much change has gone on on the coastline, captured on the early map. Um, but also huge detail of all the ships, all the little boats, um, a whole world buzzing with activity there, captured on this map. Um, so I'll just pick out some themes, some common themes from which we can see different ways that they're depicted. So landscapes, I'm talking about time. So you've got seen how in Rye, if you like, the coast changed. You've got sea, you've got um, land as well. Um, so here there's a 1607 map of an area in Wiltshire where the person was actually drawing a, a map in a, a legal case. 
So he had to show um, a warren, but he actually put in all these animals and all these trees. So there's an oak tree. He, each, each trunk bears the leaves, which are the right leaves for their sort. So there's elm as well and willows here. So he's actually depicted a lot more than he needed to have um, in order to sort of portray everything that he thought was important about the place. So that's 1607. By the time you move to about 1840, this is just before the Ordnance Survey maps came in. So you still didn't have national coverage. This is a ties map which was made for um, a tax survey. And they were trying to work towards national coverage um, with a sort of standard way of, of mapping things. So you've got different symbols to show different and colours to show different types of land use. So move towards trying to organise portrayal of the landscape there with that. You also get very offbeat depictions of the countryside, and you never know where you're going to find them. So, this is Dartmoor. Dartmoor. Would you expect it to be out of an admiralty file? So, this is Dartmoor Prison, and this map was made because a French prisoner of war was kept there. And he escaped. So that's what this map was, was, was all about. So you've got Dartmoor showing the whole landscape in the background. And then you've got superimposed on it, actually, this, this plan of the newly built then Dartmoor prison, because that's where he'd escaped from. And there's a huge file about how he escaped dressed up as a potato seller, lady potato seller, um, <laughs> etc. Um, for more on that, you're going to have to read the book I'm going to tell you about later. Okay, so maps of the countryside. Another type of drawing, architectural drawings, drawings of buildings here. So we've got um, an amazing range of drawings. So this is probably um, a, a drawing by Sir Christopher Wren of St Paul's Cathedral. Um, there's lots and lots of official buildings like the Treasury all along Whitehall. There's consulates overseas, um, palaces, castles, but then you go right down to the other end of the scale with... Um, model cottages and royal piggeries and kennels and all sorts of things, any kind of building, bandstands, telephone exchanges, all sorts of things. So here's another one. This is one of our huge number of castle drawings because the Ministry of Works under which this is filed uh, were responsible for the upkeep of castles. Um, this is actually 1920, and it shows the kind of later state of architectural drawings. So you've got all of these cross sections. It's, a, it's kind of a plan looking down of Restormal Castle. Um, but actually, it's, it's rather a good design in its own way, although it was trying to tell you about things like broken, broken bits and things, you know, things that it was made to show what needed repairing, if you like, what money was going to be spent. But actually, it, it shows the latest... Um, what was then the latest style of architectural drawing. And moving on to the military side, again, forts and castles are military as well. This is actually um, a fort in Menorca, uh, drawn in 1754, with all the outworks. So it's a star fort, but you've got all of these extra bits designed to keep people out there. So huge number of designs. We have military maps ranging from, well, going back to the 16th century, but particularly from 
uh, the 18th century, representing all the major conflicts, but also lots of lots of forts. So some of these, I mean, World War One is obviously very much in everybody's minds at the moment. So there are the trench maps that show the day-to-day nitty-gritty, uh, not quite the mud, hopefully not the mud. Some of them look a bit as though they worse for, they're worse for the wear, but the detail of um, advance of military both sides going across across the land. And sometimes with interesting perspective, this, the last one was made by military map makers. This one was made by the governor of, of uh, Gibraltar because he happened to be besieged, so he couldn't get out. So he, he had to conduct the siege. And B drew something to convey that he'd actually done the siege. Um, so he's right up there. And there's a little path with, the, I think it was the French attacking him. So all sorts of different people who happened to be on the spot you know, turning their hand at, uh, at making all sorts of different kinds of maps. Um, and I think that's really rather a stunning, stunning view. Going, moving from military maps towards charting, charting the seas, because we have the records of the Royal Navy here, and Royal Naval officers were tra trained in how to draw charts. So we have them by Nelson, um, Bly, all the famous sea captains. We've got a lot of examples of their work. So I was in the lovely position of choosing uh, which Captain Cook. And uh, so this is drawn by Captain Cook. So this is uh, showing his discoveries in the Southern Hemisphere on his second voyage of the Endeavour, uh, sorry, the Resolution there. And it just shows how this was the, the Enlightenment. He was using different ways of showing different lands as well. There's a a spirit of exploration about it, if you like. Um, and the artwork underneath very much epitomises the um, classical style of the age, and that was drawn by one of his crew. This is actually a little earlier, 1715, um, but I put this in because it's a link back to the Portland chart. You can see these lines called rum lines across, across the sea. This was actually drawn as an advert because the man who drew it said um, he sent the letter in to um, the precursors of the colonial office and said, well, I can do sea charts, but I could do the land as well. And of course, you know, I can sail so I can get there. So, I, I mean, there's no record that his offer was taken up, but it was a kind of advert that you can see here that the land has nothing, no detail on it, and all this detail is sea. So that's a kind of major feature of a sea chart, that all the detail is around the land. You want the coast, you want to know what's around the coast, so if you're there you can see where you are, but you don't need to know what's going on inland. So again, it's a different view of, of places. One problem you get if you're at sea is that you can get shipwrecks. So this actually... Um, is actually a very serious chart in the middle. It's actually depicting the um, the wreck of some ships which caused the Longitude Prize, the search for the Longitude Prize, because 2,000 Royal Navy men lost their lives and there were four ships lost um, as well. But round the edge, you can imagine that the chart maker drew what's inside the circle to show what they needed to show, which was where the shipwreck was, and also how shallow the water was, which was why they ran aground because they were big ships. Um, but he's also then thought, oh, well, 
there's a lot of blank paper here. What should we do there? And I, I kind of get the feeling he's he got his kid's um, design book and put in. I mean, here is actually the detail of the shipwreck. So this is the Rumney, which was lost, the association, which was lost, which was the flagship of Sir Clousy Shovel, who was lost up here. His body was found. But then he puts in... You know, all these wonderful little details which are completely incongruous. You know, you've got the dog next to the elephant um, and you've got this monkey with a, a deer looking on and a cat. It looks like the Cheshire cat. Um, but even within the circle, you've got the mermaid, who's the symbol of shipwreck, luring sailors to their doom. And you've also got the St Agnes Lighthouse, which was actually built and a factor but didn't save them. So... You've got a very individualistic picture here, which was actually really conveying a very strong point that, that um, it, was, it was depicting in a very strong visual way uh, what had happened with all these men going down. Moving on to land, but land overseas. So um, a lot of the records here are to do with exploration on land, um, and there's a lot of records about um, the colonies. And obviously... Because they wanted to convey information to London, to the colonial office at home, etc., there's a lot of maps as well. This is um, a map, one of a huge number of maps, of a loyal estate in Georgia, which was filed when America was lost to Britain, because obviously any Brit Brits lost their estate, so they filed for compensation. Um, this is in the Altamaha River in Georgia, swamp, really swampy estate. So you get a sense of really what the landscape is like. Um, so you've got details like tide and cane swamp, and there's oysters, um, more swamp up here. So it's the same sort of mapping goes on at home, but it's a completely different style of landscape. And decoration, because they've all got these lovely little compass indicators telling you that north is that way, but um, beautiful faces on them. Some of the maps are made by people who actually lived in the areas before the colonial um, visitors came. So this is a copy of a Native American Indian map. So this gives an insight into the view of uh, the, the land as, as they saw it, which was really based on all these tribes, their relations with the, their, each other, and where each tribe was across the land. So they were less focused on a bit of land and what it was called, and more on where the tribes were and what relations they had with another, each other. So that's um, a different view of the world. This is a slightly later stage showing um, the problems you get when there are two different colonial powers, in this case France and Britain, and they clashed on the same bit of land. And this is all about um, land claims so these plots here, and some of them were the same. So the French government gave their uh, settlers the same bit of land as the Brits had given theirs. So that's what the map's about. But the map maker put on all this decoration, and he did a very detailed, uh, well-drawn um, chart, again with the lovely decoration here. Um, he's very cunningly put in the scale. So this little girl has got some dividers showing... The tree is actually the scale bar, and the, she's also written on the on the leaf. What um, I think it's four miles to an inch. So there's a lot of artistry going on in here, um, including, of course, the wonderful cartouche or this decoration around the title. Although we have to say that the um, 
the map maker, he actually came from Yorkshire, I think, and he must have heard about the types of lions rather than having seen them. So he must have heard that there were mountain lions there, but he actually put in one from Africa instead. Talking of Africa, here's a map of David Livingstone's expedition, the one on which he said that he sent a letter back to the Foreign Office saying no white man had ever been bef here before, so this is where. Um, so maps from all part parts of the world, but also showing exploration um, across the land. And you do get a sense here that it was very much sent back from the point on the cataracts up here, where there were 33 cataracts, so they had to get out of their boat and walk, basically, the letter tells us. Um, so they got stopped, so he wrote a letter back to the Foreign Office sending this map with it. And you really get a sense that it is 33 degrees, very hot, humid. Um, the, the ink is sort of really running on this, on this map. You really get a sense of the place from which it came. Now, I mentioned that not all of the maps and plans we have are for places that actually exist. At one point, I put into our online catalogue, Treasure Island, just to prove that it didn't exist. And this came up. So here it is. We have X marks the spot. This gentleman, is uh, he's got a pound sign for his nose. He's called Bob Saving, a Bob being a shilling in old money. This was just after the war when the government needed needed support to rebuild the country. Um, so it's actually a National Savings Committee poster trying to get people to invest in government, really. Um, so you never know what you're going to find. Um, and I think the, the needs of the day inspire people to come up with all sorts of ideas. So I've just got a few of those, a few more ideas um, to round off with that show this whole range of if you like, interesting and inspirational sides. Not all of them are like this, but since we're doing artistry. Here's a 17th century map, which is a printed map, engraved map, I should say, from an atlas. And it shows the Arctic Sea. So all up here, there's a whale. I'm afraid he's, there's a harpoon poised to get him there, but there we go. This is Scandinavia here. Um, this is Russia and Norvaya Zemlya. And we are coming up to Christmas. <laughs> this is possibly the first depiction of Santa Claus ever. And there's, a, you, there's an interesting map-making side to this because these plates weren't, didn't come with um, sort of fixed colouring. So if I were a rich person, I could say, I want all of these plates in my atlas and I want my chap here to have red coat and white hair. Or, you know, so they were all individually hand-coloured. And I've seen another one like this that has blue and white instead. So by chance, we happen to have Santa, I like to think. And here's another view of him down here as well. This is in a Foreign Office atlas. Going back to early maps. Um, the point about this is that um, our image library has got a lot of views of maps. So if you want some inspiration, I suggest you have a little look through there. Um, this is a medieval map which I particularly like, it's very artistic. It shows a moor near Scunthorpe, which hasn't changed much. I think there's uh, railways go across it. Um, but I like the way they've drawn these three rivers as though they're carpets sort of rolled up at the edge rather than going off 
off the edge. Um, and as I say, that's on the image library, on our image library on the website, and lots of others as well. One of the favourite ones, going from a tiny place to the whole world, this was drawn by Macdonald Gill, um, brother of Eric Gill, um, famous artist who did the Wonderland Underground posters, which are full of humour and little vignettes and little speech bubbles and all sorts of things happening. So this has a serious purpose. This was to sell the empire both to the world and it was by the Empire Marketing Board. So they were also trying to get British people at home to buy things from the colonies, as it were. Now, you might notice that, very hard to see on here, right in the centre of the world, there's Britain in red. Now, we're used to that. But the file that goes with it, always read the file, there's a huge story about it, is where the poster committee, subcommittee of the Empire Marketing Board met and had to work out how they were going to get that in the centre of the world. And they drew a sketch and they sent it to a map maker and that's how we got it. And then they gave it to Macdonald Gill. And he had real fun, he did. So, yes, it's a map of the world, but you've got, you know, modern things. So um, you've got the, this plane up here, which was the latest thing. And you've also got some polar bears in the wrong place. <laughs> he had the mortification of, of somebody tapping on the shoulder and saying, you've put them in the wrong place. And by this time, you know, he'd done... It, this was for a poster, 48-sheet, kind of bigger than that poster for a hoarding. Well, the, you know, the original plate wasn't... So it was a bit too late to do anything about it. So what he did was he put these speech bubbles on. Um, so this one says, you know, why are we here in the South Pole? <laughs> we belong to the South Pole. We don't know what he says back. And um, this one is singing, it's a long way to Tipperary. <laughs> We could have done with sort of, you know, um, music, music to go with it, couldn't we? So you never know what you're going to find. Um, the full story of this map and a lot of the other maps is in this book, which has just come out. So you can have a flick through there and you'll get the stories behind them and also a lot more, there's a hundred different, um, um, different um, maps from all periods and places around the world. So, um, as I say, plenty of maps to interest and inspire everyone. Um, so that's a whistle-stop tour through them. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives, rights reserved. It is available for reuse under the terms of the Open Government Licence.